We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Say Metro by T-Mobile. Got the best deal in wireless. And it's all for you. All for me. Just switch quickly. Because Metro has two lines for 80. And two Samsung Galaxy J7 Star phones for free. Plus Amazon Prime included. That's the way wireless should be. Only at Metro. Plus sales tax and activation fee. $50 plus rate plan required. Not valid for numbers currently on T-Mobile Network or on Metro in past 90 days. Offer subject to change. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Amazon Prime has a $12.99 per month value. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions. Hey everyone, you're listening to Rotoviz Radio. I am today's host, Colm Kelly. You can find me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. And today I'm delighted to be joined by two of the main uh, mainstays here at Rotoviz. First up is Sean Siegel, the Rotoviz co-owner, who you can find on Twitter at FF underscore Contrary. And the other one is Matt Freeman, the Oracle himself, who you can find at Matt F. The Oracle. Guys, uh, I want to go to Matt first. How's it going, Matt? You enjoy the Super Bowl? Oh yeah, that's great Super Bowl, and I uh, bet the under on the pink national anthem. So just you know, just very happy with the outcome. Yeah, we might get some fiery takes on the national anthem prop bets coming up here in a moment, but uh, it's always good. Uh, it's always good when we're all enjoying the game. It was obviously a very high scoring game, so Sean, I'm sure you enjoyed it as well. Yeah, it's it's always great to get a chance to put to rest the uh, defense wins championships slogan. Uh, having the offense dominate, especially in a game where we did have two quality defenses to see uh, teams go out there and attack and, and try and win as opposed to trying to not lose. And certainly you'd like to see that uh, anytime you're in a championship game, but you don't always get it. This, this was one of the best Super Bowls in memory. So I, I think fans have to be very excited. Yeah, we're going on a pretty good run here at Super Bowls. If you remember back to, you know, sometimes in the 90s or even in the 80s, there's some really, really uh, tragic <laughs> tragic cases of Super Bowls unless you were on the winning team. So uh, it's good to see some of these be uh, quite competitive and very, very entertaining. Uh, was it a surprise 
uh, for either of you that, you know, after what was one of the most kind of blandest regular seasons of memory in terms of point scoring and, you know, uh, you know, people going for it in fourth down and that, there was a lot of people in the analytical community saying that we should be going on fourth down a lot, lot more. Was it quite refreshing to see how exciting this game was and, of course, uh, how much uh, Doug Peterson decided to, to really go for it on those key fourth downs? Uh, I'll let you go first, Matt. Uh, yeah, I loved it. I think one of the great things about Peterson is, well, I guess just to kind of step back, um, I thought the NFL season was fascinating, although I can understand why some people didn't like it because there were so many injuries. But, uh, you know, I think Peterson and Belichick um, are among the best coaches in the league. That seems like an obvious statement, but I think they're the NFL isn't very good at uh, matching up against defenses and coming up with a matchup specific game plans. And, and where's a sport like the NBA, that's like something that is common every game. Uh, but the NFL, the teams just seem to focus on, you know, like their identity and doing what it is that they think they should be doing in any given game. But uh, Belichick and Peterson, you know, offensively are very good at coming up with game plans that attack the weaknesses of the opposing defenses. And I think that in part is why we saw such a high scoring game. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was delightful to see coaches uh, have, you know, matchup specific game plans and to be aggressive on fourth down. I think Belichick wasn't as aggressive as he should have been at certain points but yeah i mean uh, i think a very pleasant game to end the season yeah and sean would you kind of concur with what he said it was obviously uh you know the fourth downs but before the game there was a lot made of uh, the weaknesses of both teams having you know over the center of the defense and those kind of short intermediate passes and we've seen a lot of yards picked up on the, on those kind of passes so as uh, matt mentioned there uh, teams planning which every coach should be doing heading into a game it sounds a lot more simpler than it seems to partake in the nfl but would you kind of agree with what matt was saying there yeah, and I think, you know, if you can both attack the defense's weaknesses while not conceding that you can't do certain things, uh, you know, in this game we had the Eagles, the, the fourth-ranked scoring defense, the Patriots, the fifth-ranked scoring defense, you know, very different approaches to how they got there. The Patriots, a lot more of the bend but don't break, where the Eagles have a much more dominant sort of defense, or at least they have at points in time in the season where they can get that that pass rush. And, and obviously, despite giving up uh, – an incredible number of yards. They did finally get that pressure at the key moment and got the, the strip sack to win the game. But yeah, to see the teams go out there and attack, we have this idea that good defense tends to beat good offense. And I don't think that that's the case. And certainly it doesn't have to be the case in individual games. So anytime that you go out there in a competition, you want to see the teams compete and not concede certain things and believe as an offense, like Matt say that if you execute you can get the job done even against elite defenses. And certainly in a situation like this where you have 22 moving pieces and you have the offense as the side that really gets to determine what happens in a play and knows what's going to happen going into the play, the idea that the defense should necessarily win uh, if that defense is elite, I, I think is a problem. And so not only is this an exciting game from a, a specific perspective of, of just this game being a lot of fun for fans, I think it will help the league going forward, I think it'll show people a lot of things that can be done. And certainly more so than a lot of other teams that have been in the Super Bowl or maybe reaching the Super Bowl performance in the Super Bowl was a little bit flukier. These two teams are definitely the template now going forward for what NFL teams want to do if they want to be championship caliber 
contenders. Yeah, and obviously there's a lot of key areas to talk about as we go through the podcast. We'll be touching a lot of different areas of the Super Bowl, but in this one I mentioned the kind of bland season uh, after a low-scoring fantasy season where wide receivers, in particular 11 players in this contest, scored 15-plus points. So a really, really high-scoring one in terms of uh, fantasy production, in terms of football production in general. A lot of nice performances by wide receivers. And some of the players that had big games in this, some of them that didn't have a lot of big games, uh, guys like Dion Lewis and Rex Burkhead, who weren't as involved as uh, maybe some people thought prior to the game are both heading to free agency and then we have guys uh, that aren't heading to free agency but like Corey Clement who had a very very well obviously a career game for him very impressive touchdown catch or not catch uh, you may touch on that in a moment but we had Nelson Aguilar uh, Danny Amendola and Chris Hogan Hogan and Amendola big performances from them out of those guys heading in uh, to 2018 and into that season is there any of them that are really standing out for you as guys that uh, if you're looking at fantasy football that you're trying to you know pinpoint and acquire uh, early if you're playing in dynasty leagues nice and earlier if you're playing in basketball leagues trying to get those guys on your rosters I, I think the the interesting players here in a lot of ways are Aguilar and Hogan where they have had this explosiveness and on uh, in games where they're involved they manage to score and, and as someone who owns Chris Hogan on a number of dynasty teams it was exciting to see him back in play although a lot of that happened perhaps as the result of the really scary play involving Brandon Cooks probably the one real downside or real dark moment from the Super Bowl we have someone like Aguilar Aguilar is an interesting player and I would be interested in getting your opinion on him in that I've heard people have been have been offered mid first round uh, rookie picks for Aguilar and have turned that down because I mean he's someone who previously was a mid to late first round pick he's now in this explosive offense he's showing some things in individual games on the other hand I have him on teams whenever I offer him to people for, for first round rookie picks, they look at me like I'm crazy. And certainly I think the volume issue there uh, would argue for him still not being to that level, but we saw him have another good game in the Super Bowl, although it was within the context of everyone on their team having a good game. Is he someone you would prefer to buy or sell? Uh, for me personally, if I had him and I don't have him on any rosters, I'd be selling him. I think we're seeing him at probably the, the peak of his productions. I don't know if Matt's going to maybe disagree with me, but when we look at it, if you look at just the, the players around him, uh, you have Jeffrey's obviously going to be there, and Zach Ertz is, uh, I would just class him as a, another wide receiver there in terms of targets. He led the Eagles in targets this year, so both of them are always going to be ahead of him in the pecking order. He kind of fits for me into the, the Devontae Adams mold of uh, nobody wanted him last offseason, uh, which was the situation with Adams two years ago, and then obviously had a huge spike in value, but where I thought there was a chance for Adams to head on up to the, the wide receiver one, which it looks like he will be in Green Bay next year. I just don't see that elevation for Aguilar. I think he's going to stay in the slot. I don't see the, the high to- touchdown upside that we would see with somebody like Adams. And I think that uh, you know people might be comparing them. But if I was being offered you know a mid-first, even a late-first, I would be taking it for Aguilar. But I do feel that that is kind of the range of his value at, at this moment in time. Matt, would you uh, tend to agree with that? Yeah, I actually agree with everything you just said. I think that probably is his value uh, right around that mid to late first. Um, and the thing is, like, I, I don't know if you actually could get a wide receiver at that range uh, who has a realistic chance of doing much better than Aguilar. Um, I mean, I think it's, you know, you're probably just doing a, a coin flip at that point. And I don't think that Aguilar has wide receiver one potential. Um, so I think maybe I would be willing to flip him and get the, uh, the first rounder 
with the idea that maybe with what's unknown, I could get a guy who turns into a, you know, maybe at some point a reliable wide receiver one. I just don't see that at this point being in Aguilar's uh, like realistic range of outcomes. Yeah, I just feel that that is the, the ceiling for him. I think, uh, you know, if you even had that rookie pick when it comes to draft time, if you moved him now, those draft picks obviously get higher and higher as we get closer to the draft and then we'll see where the landing spots is. I think you could uh, probably flip out, flip that pick then for something around that time, maybe a more veteran player. But I, I think he's done a fantastic job. I didn't expect him to, to kind of reinvigorate his career from his rookie season to this point with what happened in between. So uh, he's done a fantastic job there. But just with Ertz and with Jeffrey, those are the two guys in the, the Eagles offense that I would like to own. Uh, just when we're talking about some of the offseason stuff and the free agency stuff, there's a lot of great free agency stuff up at the moment on rotoviz.com. And don't forget that you can get yourself a subscription to a Rotoviz NFL Pass right now for 30% off just for listening to the Rotoviz Podcast Network. You can find that through the podcast homepage. It is rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our NFL content and tools. And best of all, it helps support the pod. So be sure and get that 30% discount now. Don't miss out. Get you all the way through the 2018 season. That is at rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Sean, you kind of touched on it, uh, but I'll let you maybe uh, go a little bit deeper into it now. Is this the end of the defense wins championships a bit? I think it is. I think that you have to get out there and score points. And we really are seeing the teams divide themselves even more completely into the haves and have nots at this point where you have teams like the Patriots, like the Eagles that are well run across the board. So it's not a matter of being good at one thing. You have good quarterback play. You have good line play. You have very good coaching and you have good depth of coaching where we see obviously the Patriots are going to lose, you know, both of their coordinators again to other teams. And yet they'll have people step in and, you know, fill those roles admirably going forward and continue to build their depth. I think when you see these teams that are trying to be good at everything and, you know, have aggressive attacking defenses on the Eagles side, have a defense that for the Patriots until the Super Bowl had been very good at, at preventing the one thing that matters, which is points. And then both sides, you know, scoring at will. I think very much we're looking at what you would, again, want to see, which is as opposed to having a very specific identity uh, anchored to one um, somewhat limited area, we have teams that are going to go out and say, okay, we're going to put a ton of points on you and we're going to stop you. And we're going to be this team that year after year is up there in the number one, number two spots in terms of the seeds and has this very clear path back to the Super Bowl over and over. What the Patriots have done, you could easily see the Eagles starting to do here. And I think teams who want to get in that situation need to emulate that overall plan as opposed to limiting themselves to one very specific identity. And so, for example, it'll be interesting to see what the Jaguars decide to do, because that's a team that has a ton of depth, a ton of talent, and yet they certainly are a more one-dimensional team than these teams we saw in the Super Bowl. Um, Matt, what do you like the the Jaguars doing and or, you know, do you see teams going to to more of this overall um, identity or this this overall situation where they they actually are good at everything, or is this just sort of a fluke where you know the Jaguars could have easily made the Super Bowl themselves had they been able to get a fourth quarter stop a couple weeks ago? Yeah, it's interesting with the Jags. I mean, I think they need to go more uh, on the offensive side of the ball, and I think you could even start to see something like that with what they were doing in this last draft, getting Leonard Fournette. Uh, and then in the fourth round, going with D.D. Westbrook, who I, th- I think was a, a great high upside pick. You know, a guy who won the Bolitnikoff Award has uh, great downfield speed. Uh, I think if he's put in the right type of offense, he's, he could be like an electrifying playmaker. Um, but, but 
thinking about uh, kind of the identity that teams put upon themselves, you know, I just I keep thinking that what would this game have looked like if Malcolm Butler had played? And I know he's just one guy on the team, you know, just one of 11, uh, you know, potential starters on that defense. But uh, there are these effects that people don't really think about so much. But like when one player leaves, that can really change like in a cascading manner what happens to a particular unit. And it maybe could have been more of a defensive uh, game, at least for the Patriots, if they had had Butler out there. Uh, Like splits are dangerous. uh, I mean, in any sport, but especially in NFL, where you have a smaller sample of only, you know, like 16 regular season games and then, you know, maybe three or four postseason games. But, um, you know, Malcolm Butler was a significant part of that team's secondary Uh, for the first six games of the season. I mean, people know this stuff, but the first six games of the season, the Patriots allowed every quarterback they faced to pass for over 300 yards. They allowed almost 30 points per game, you know, starting in week seven, when that secondary really coalesced, uh, they didn't allow any passer to go over 100 yards. And on average, they held opponents to 14.5 points per game. And then all of a sudden in the Super Bowl, you take out a key component of the secondary that shifts the guy who normally plays in the the nickel Eric Rowe to the outside that shifts a guy who normally plays special teams <laughs> into the nickel package. Uh, it's just, you know, and then you allow Nick Foles to have 300 yards passing and, you know, you allow the Eagles to score over 40 points. Like, I don't think that's totally coincidental. Um, that's not to say that the Patriots would have held the Eagles to around 14 points, but uh, I think it could have been a very different game if Butler had been in there, because this was a game of just getting a few key stops at crucial moments. And I think with Butler in there, they would have had a better chance of getting those stops. So I I think it's just interesting to see what, like what happened in the game versus what could have happened if the Patriots would have been in there with their full defense. So I think for a, a team like the Jags who already have a good defense and maybe they just get one or two key players on offense and that can change uh, the balance of their team and the way that they identify themselves or, or maybe a, a team like the saints, maybe if they continue to get stronger on the defensive side of the ball, they can shift into a team that like the Patriots, except maybe better than the Patriots because their defense could be stronger, but like the Patriots could be very balanced uh, and, and could win in a multitude of ways. Yeah. And uh, I think you said uh, one, they kept uh, opponents to under 100 yards per game. I think you meant under 300 yards per game. Is that oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah no, uh, <laughs> opposing, opposing passers to 300 yards per oh, game. Sorry, yeah. yeah. So uh, it wasn't, uh, they weren't as good as that, but uh, maybe I thought it was kind of a situation where obviously it could be something behind the scenes. It could be something to do with obviously the contract situation dragging on. There was reports that the situation with uh, Stefan Gilmore getting the big contract last off season kind of didn't sit well with Butler, but I think this was a case of the, the Patriots probably getting a little bit too cute for their own good and I, I do believe that it did definitely cost them uh, we've seen Eric Rowe uh, get into trouble on a number of different plays just before we get in to the MVP and talking about him uh, you mentioned at the start the the pink prop bet for the national anthem uh, how much uh, did you dive into that pre pre-game and uh, how much did you enjoy it at the time then uh it was fantastic um I was so it's funny I wrote of his 
we, you know, they're the, the similarity scores, uh, and like the Gillespie app. And I was really trying to do that type of analysis with pink. Uh, and so looking back at, uh, previous national anthems, not just for the Super Bowl, but for other sporting events and, uh, you know, kind of trying to, to think about what type of singer pink is and then what type of singers she's comparable to in terms of kind of just like overall style, like lung capacity, like, does she do runs? in her songs like things like that uh and and then like you know like correlate that to what we've seen from previous national anthems and so uh i was already pounding the under on that at at plus odds and then the news came out that she had the flu uh so then i like was all the more just like you know trying to find places where uh, i could have some action on that so anyway it was uh that was very rewarding so that was that was a lot of fun to watch that uh, which did you enjoy more, the national anthem or the game itself? Uh, well, the national anthem, but I was I was also uh, I think lucky in that I was I was on the Eagles. Um, I, I didn't think they would win, but I did think they would cover. So yeah, uh, I, it, well, it ended up being a good a good all around experience. Yeah, last week on uh, I was the uh, guest host on this show as well, and me and Sean both picked the Eagles, and uh, then I was tweeting it out on Sunday, and a lot of people thought that it was a really bold call that I was going for. Uh, it was actually twenty-seven to seventeen was my pick for the score, and uh, you know it obviously went with a ten-point win, but or an eight-point win, but in a different sort of way. Obviously, a lot more high scoring, but I didn't think it was as uh, bold as some people thought. But obviously, uh, props to you for getting both the the pink prop up, and of course uh, having the Eagles as well to win at uh, it's. Uh, a nice, a nice weekend for you. It's always nice when you can win a few bucks on it. Another way you can win a few bucks is by playing season-long fantasy football. And the home of season-long fantasy football is the FFPC, the Fantasy Football Players Championship. For most people, it is the off-season, but not for the FFPC. They have almost 200 active dynasty leagues with entry fees starting at $77 and going all the way up to $2,500. And there's something incredible that you can hear it's a stat that you've probably heard if you listen to this uh, podcast over the years they've been a great sponsor here for us not a single dynasty league has folded in the last eight years so a real real run of uh, success in terms of dynasty leagues and that's what you want when you're playing in dynasty leagues you want to have a team and a league that is there for the long term there is orphan teams available to purchase right now many of these teams are good and ready to go and have a, a chance at winning championships this next year so make sure you get involved and if you're playing best ball with them the best ball leagues are opening for this season in just a few days with entries starting at just $35 and we also have a couple of those to give away those $35 entries all you have to do is head on over to our iTunes page for Rotoviz Radio subscribe to the show give us a rating there and if you do that you will be eligible to win a $35 entry into a league at the FFPC. So simply head on over to iTunes, leave a review with your name in it, and then listen to a future episode to hear if you are the winner. Also, if you're interested in being in an FFPC league with some of the Rotoviz writers and podcasts like myself, like Matt, like Sean, head on over to rotovizradio at gmail.com and send us an email and hit us up there and we'll be able to get that set up as we approach the 2018 season. Hey sports fans, football season's here and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. 
Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. So back to the Super Bowl, back to the MVP, Nick Foles. We all thought he was going to be the Super Bowl MVP as the, the season rolled on there. That was something that we all we all were calling for. But obviously they had uh, what I thought was the league MVP in uh, Carson Wentz during the season. He went down with an injury. I did not expect Nick Foles to be able to do this throughout the playoffs. But he really tore things up. A kind of run reminiscent of Joe Flacco's 2011 run where he had 11 touchdowns, no interceptions. And... You know, that made Flacco the highest paid player in the NFL and Foles is under contract next year for $7 million. So there's two quite different situations here, but uh, I know something that Sean wanted to talk about. Should we uh, view Carson Wentz's breakout season a little bit differently? I definitely sit on the no side. I think uh, there's no doubt in the ability difference between the two quarterbacks. But I'll let you say, Sean, what do you think uh, now? How do you view Carson Wentz's breakout season? I don't think that we should look at it in a completely, uh, in completely different light. At the same time, it, it does really emphasize the value of teammates and the value of coaching. And so you have someone like Nick Foles. We talked about last week where he had the 27 touchdown two interception season uh, back with Chip Kelly. Uh, then things went a little sideways there. Um, you know, played for Jeff Fisher. Not surprisingly, that was a complete debacle. You know, played as Alex Smith's backup with the Kansas City Chiefs for a couple of years. And when he got in the game, looked very similar to the way he looked in the playoffs for the Eagles. And then, you know, goes to Philadelphia, plays extraordinarily well in the playoffs. You know, one of the things that, you know, again, coming back to this idea of, of defense wins championships or who wins individual plays if you have an elite offense versus an elite defense. Uh, you know, we certainly had defensive breakdowns and, and issues in this game, but we also saw plays where the offense just made plays that were almost unreal. The the Clement touchdown was one where not only did he make a great catch in the back of the end zone, uh, certainly probably if you're a Patriots fan, you think that's a non-catch, but, <laughs> but a nice play. The throw from Foles on that is almost unreal. And then we saw Foles make several other just pinpoint, you know, three quarters arm throws that were on the money to keep drives alive at, at really crucial times in the game. So I'm not sure outside of, you know, perhaps someone like an Aaron Rodgers that any player could have played better in one game than Nick Foles did in the Super Bowl. Now, you know, over the course of a full season, you're going to see a difference between Foles and Carson Wentz, but, but Foles was phenomenal. So the, the thing that we're seeing here is that the Eagles, again, have really put this together in a great um, overall structure for a quarterback back to be successful. And, and that's something that should give them a lot of confidence going forward. You know, I talked with some family members and some other Kansas City Chiefs fans about some of the plays that happened in that Super Bowl. And, you know, we have this debate about you know whether or not Alex Smith is any good, you know, if he has the weapons. You know, I think he's both good and that the Chiefs have some weapons when you talk about uh, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. But the real difference and the reason why you see some of those Eagles plays work better is the Eagles make you defend the third receiver in Aguilar, the fourth receiver in Torrey Smith, and that completely changes what the defense has to do. So it, it doesn't change the way that I, I view Wentz, and, and uh, certainly I, I think that if you're a Wentz owner, you've got to actually be very excited about what Foles did because you know this offense is going to be good for a long time. 
Yeah, I kind of circle back to what Matt said earlier in the, the game planning and how Doug Peterson went about setting his team up. I think a lot of coaches would have just crumpled in this situation and just said, well, that's the season over and not really pushed on. We've seen it last year with the Oakland Raiders and Derek Carr when he went down with his injury and uh, Del Rio wasn't able to keep things going there and it was just a, a real uh, tire fire at that point. So I think you have to give the coaching staff a huge amount of credit. I think as well, uh, something I was very impressed with in Carson Wentz and his development while he was injured is the amount of uh, times that he's on the sideline helping Nick Foles out. We see a lot of quarterbacks that don't want to help out anyone when it's not them and obviously I was very impressed with Wentz's demeanor from that perspective. Uh, Matt had you anything to add on the situation obviously with Carson Wentz and I suppose we have to give Nick Foles we didn't touch on Foles too much uh, give Nick Foles his props for his performance I said there's a huge difference in the ability level I still stand by that but what you mentioned with uh, you know Nick Foles playing pretty much as good as any quarterback could have played in the Super Bowl I agree with that I don't think there would have been much difference uh, you know if Carson Wentz had his best game and Foles had his best game I think the outlook would have been re- relatively similar I think uh, from that perspective Foles uh, was just playing out of his skin but if you were looking for somebody to, to repeat that performance over and over again I would be uh, certainly standing with Carson Wentz on that yeah I totally agree with uh, your take and Sean's take on that and uh, the success that Foles have doesn't it doesn't make me think any less of Wentz um, in part because I did think a lot of Wentz's success during the season uh, was linked to the coaching and the teammates. And, that, and that's not to take anything away from him. I just, you know, especially offensively, uh, football is so much of a team sport. And the success that a quarterback has is so contingent on his ability to function well within a system and to be nurtured by the system. And I think the Eagles were doing a great job of that with Wentz. And so he was able to have success. And then, you know, when Foles came in, especially during that that uh, that bye week during the playoffs, when they were able to implement some of the old things that he had done in Chip Kelly's system, uh, you know, they really rebuilt some of that offense around him so that he could have success. Uh, and so I, I think uh, it speaks really just to the power of that offensive coaching staff and uh, how good they are at what they are doing right now. Yeah, and I think a fascinating aspect of it too is uh, the fact that obviously the Eagles had that bye week uh, for the first game against the the Vikings, and then they had, or sorry, for the first game against the Falcons, and then they had the bye week prior to the Super Bowl, which obviously was a a huge help in game planning and getting kind of foals up to scratch. Some people talked about it almost like a you know a mini camp to get them integrated into the offense a lot more efficiently. So obviously that helped them there. When we look now in the last week as well, we've seen uh, Alex Smith get traded by the Chiefs to the Washington Redskins. The Eagles now have the most difficult cap situation in the entire NFL and you know obviously they have a Super Bowl MVP uh, who's going to be the backup quarterback next season and they have Carson Wentz who uh, as I mentioned was my MVP candidate at the time he got injured uh, do you think they're going to look to possibly move Foles this offseason or keep uh, would you be in a situation where you'd rather keep him I think they probably should keep him at this point in time because you know we've seen with ACLs and Carson Wentz happened relatively late in the season that it can be a situation where you can have that couple of extra weeks maybe four to five weeks extra to fully recover how would you handle it uh, Sean if you were sitting down there in Philadelphia well, like you said, I mean, this season, maybe more than any other, and, and a little bit like the 2015 season for running backs, you know, this season for quarterback injuries is going to be unusual and, and, and won't be repeated, hopefully, anytime in the near future. But, <laughs> but we certainly see the value of having 
a backup quarterback and a backup quarterback who can very quickly, um, you know, get you get you to the same basic place that you have with your starter or allow those other elite players on your team to continue to carry you. Whereas, you know, teams like the Denver Broncos, the Houston uh, Texans, when I mean, the Broncos in terms of their starters, the Texans in terms of their backups, when they don't have those quarterbacks there, they, they can't get anything done. And so you certainly have a team in the Eagles. Uh, yeah, and you know, you look at some of their teams like with the Chiefs, where their backup was almost certainly better than the starters for a third to maybe even a half of the NFL teams. I think if you're a, another um, NFL franchise out there, you certainly have to at least inquire. You look at the difference in cost between Foles and someone like her cousins, and I'm not sure that there's really much of a gap at all in terms of the the talent and skill those two guys are going to bring to the table. Matt. Do you do you like Cousins a lot better than Foles? Is there any chance that Foles jumps in and uh, sort of plays a role in the quarterback dominoes that we're going to see fall over the next couple of months? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I mean, I, you, I think you have to prefer Cousins um, if you in a price agnostic situation. I think you have to prefer Cousins because you've seen him do it over a longer stretch of time. But when you start factoring salary into account, Foles is just going to be so much cheaper that, yeah, I think I would actually rather have Foles than Cousins. And I mean, it's possible. I think teams will inquire uh, or at least they should. And uh, I think if you're the Eagles, you have to listen. But I, I think if I'm the Eagles, I also just want to keep Foles for a year because, as, as Colin said, you're not sure what's going to happen with uh, the ACL injury to Wentz and how quickly he'll actually recover. Uh, and then you can, uh, you can extend him uh, and then trade him, you know, uh, like franchise him or trade him or something like that for the following season. Once you have Wentz back and fully healthy, but yeah, I think uh, the possibility of Foles being traded is something that will be factored into the quarterback market, which is just going to be so fascinating. Like it's like anywhere from like, eight, I mean, let's say five, but like five to 12 of the teams out there could have different starting quarterbacks this next year. It's, uh, it's, it's fascinating given the number of quarterbacks, uh, draftable quarterbacks who could go in the first round and end up starting. It's just the quarterbacking landscape is going to look very different. And I think that Foles, uh, he, he really could be a part of that. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be very fascinating. And I think you know if you're the Eagles, unless you get an offer coming up towards the draft that's really going to blow you away, I don't think there's any point in taking any future draft picks. I think you'd want them for this upcoming draft if you're going to do it because obviously you're looking at next season and they have them under contract for seven million dollars. So there's no real need for them to to really push anything here because you know again if Wentz got injured next season you're better to have a backup quarterback at seven million dollars a year which even for a backup quarterback is a very very nice situation to have him under so I think if I was the Eagles I would be uh, unless I get blown away with a, a massive uh, trade offer I would be just uh, staying firm with what I am and even if it is a case of uh, keeping him under contract and at the start of the season you obviously have all the way up to the trade deadline in case a team does need to make that move during the season but you still would have the situation where you would have Carson Wentz healthy so a lot to think about there for the Eagles and I'm sure they have been thinking about it but I'm sure they're taking a couple of days here to celebrate uh, winning the Super Bowl for the first time in their history uh, with the Super Bowl now I guess I'll see have either of you guys any further thoughts that you want to touch on and you know I kind of touched on it earlier with the the catch for uh, for the Clement touchdown and obviously we had the controversy with the Ertz touchdown. I thought the Ertz touchdown from the first time I seen it was a definite touchdown. I had no doubt about about that one. I thought the Clement one was really really iffy when you look back to the one with Kelvin Benjamin against the Patriots earlier in the season, which I also thought was a touchdown. In fact, but 
Uh, we're going to see some changes probably to the catch rule over the off season. But was there anything else that stood out for your minds? Is probably that if those two touchdowns had went New England's way with them catching them and scoring touchdowns, there would have been a hell of a lot more said about them. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have much to say. Although um, it's <laughs> one thing that I think always is interesting is that the number of penalties called in the playoffs uh, always goes down. Um, and so it, it, sometimes you, I think, have more grumbling about uh, like certain pass interference, uh, you know, penalties not being called. Uh, and, and then, of course, you add on top of that the um, the catch rule, which, uh, you know, seems to be interpreted differently every other week. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, I think in general, uh, I'm I'm fine with how uh, stuff was called in terms of, of penalties and everything. Uh, and then, you know, questionable calls uh, within the Super Bowl. Yeah, another thing I thought was interesting, I don't know about anyone else, but I thought that the actual uh, commentary throughout the game by the, you know, the play-by-play and the analysis team, I thought was, I didn't really feel like they were actually describing what was really happening on the screen at all times. I was kind of disappointed from that aspect of it. Usually I find they're a little bit more in tune with what's actually going on. I thought maybe they were trying to play to the the more common denominator that would be watching the Super Bowl and trying to make it more entertaining for them uh, with some of the calls they were doing. Sean, did you anything else that you wanted to add on? No, I, I, I thought the Super Bowl was, was well officiated from the perspective of being difficult. I think upholding those two calls was definitely what uh, was appropriate based on what the original call was. And uh, the frustrating thing, I think, is just that the only way you can even have any discussion, and it was it was interesting that certainly some people did think that uh, that was a, a straightforward catch rule overturn on the Earth's touchdown, and and that's sad, I think. I mean, the, the only way you get to no, the, I don't think it was. Yeah, I mean, the <laughs> only way you get to the point where that would even be a question is if the officiating all season has really muddied the waters. The, the idea of going to the ground is one that both the commentators and at times it seems like even the, the uh, officiating experts don't really seem to understand. Certainly if you catch the ball and you're running for a while and then you know as you go to dive, you're touched by a defender. I mean, that has nothing to do with going to the ground in the process of the catch. So, I mean, those those two things are, are very clearly divorced and, and it, it's, it's too bad that the calls we've seen earlier in the year would lead to controversy for something like this which is really not controversial at all yeah and obviously people touched the the jesse james catch against the patriots another one that was similar was uh ty montgomery having a catch uh, against the vikings in the same stadium but when montgomery caught the ball it was a case where he was fumbling at the whole way into the end zone and then let go of it so he didn't even catch the ball properly uh, so obviously Ertz in that situation caught the ball took two steps got hit and then died for the end zone then obviously it's once you break the plane uh, it's a touchdown so he's a runner at that point so i was very surprised that was an area where i thought that the the commentary team uh, really didn't do that situation justice uh, when we looked then at the rest of it we see uh, the, the coaching tree at the Patriots kind of start to move and branch out we see Matt Patricia head to the Detroit Lions with a kind of bad taste in his mouth with the defense getting eviscerated we see Josh McDaniels head to in- Indianapolis uh, both coaches, coaches carrying a stigma of their kind of former Belichick assistants that have failed uh, what do you expect uh, to be the situation with those guys moving to both those teams Sean do you uh, we kind of touched a little bit in it last week but still think they're good uh, spots and do you think that the, the Lions may have any difference of opinion I don't think they will because you know we're talking about a one game sample size I think they'll still be happy to get their man yeah I, I, both guys go to teams where they have an elite quarterback in play and there are slightly different situations here where I, I think Matthew Stafford has carried the Lions much more than really 
anyone realizes. I mean, he's, he's, he has this team, you know, always either in the playoffs or in contention for the playoffs down the stretch. He leads these fourth quarter comebacks and it's with a team that has very little talent. I mean, you look at the offense and they can't run the ball, but the only reason they can pass the ball is because Matthew Stafford is such a physical freak. I mean, he's getting it done with golden Tate and Marvin Jones. And, and certainly this is one of those areas I think in football where, you know, people rely on each other. And so you have the chicken and the egg kinds of arguments, but golden Tate and Marvin Jones are not stars. And so what he's been able to do with them has been incredibly impressive. They're pretty thin on the defensive side of the ball. It'll be interesting to see what Patricia does there because he does have a potentially elite corner in Darius Slay, but then they really need to retool everything else. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with Ezekiel Ansah and you know how they can put that defense back together and put it back together in the mold of you know his Patriots style defense. Uh, Matt, on, on the other side, looking at the Colts, you know, assuming Andrew Luck is healthy and Dr. Budoff has been on the show, has explained why that's a pretty poor assumption. But if, if we can go ahead and make that, uh, does this Luck-Josh McDaniels combo, is he going to be able to find redemption? And is this sort of a, a long-term superpower potentially developing? Uh, I mean, I like McDaniels and I think he was better in Denver than people give him credit for. Um, I mean, I think he did a good job of getting Demarius Thomas, Eric Decker, like a lot of what went into uh, the two teams that went to the Super Bowl for the Broncos started with what McDaniels was able to do there. Um, but the <laughs> it's a different situation in Indianapolis, because as you mentioned, you know, it looks like a good situation with luck um, superficially, but you really have no idea what is going on uh, in terms of his injury. And then the rest of the roster there is really pretty naked. Um, you know, I'd say with the exception of, of T.Y. Hilton, but he's only one player and he is aging. So uh, I don't think it's I don't think it's a great situation, actually. And I hate to say that because I, I would like to see McDaniels get uh, a fair shake because I don't think he got it uh, with the Broncos. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if if luck is healthy, then that can fix a lot of their problems. Um, but if obviously if luck isn't healthy or if he just returns to maybe, you know, like a 70 percent version of what he was before, uh, I think there will be a lot of mediocrity there. And that might be enough for McDaniels to be the coach for three years, but uh, it wouldn't be a good situation. And uh, I, I meant to mention this when we were talking about the uh, going for it in fourth down and, you know, uh, Doug Peterson and what he did in the Super Bowl team's been more aggressive uh, Anthony Amico has out uh, a new podcast up here on the Road of His Radio Network and it is the Coach's Box and obviously Anthony does a lot of coaching himself and he's looking at it from an analytical perspective doing kind of 10 to 15 minute episodes breaking down different aspects of the coaching game and I suppose when we're touching on these coaches it's another time that we can talk about it but with it uh, he's looking this week and it's really uh, a good time to do it at why you should go for it in fourth down so I just listened to it earlier today earlier today uh, fantastic listen so I'd urge uh, the listeners after they listen to this one to go check out that great work by Anthony Amico. So bouncing back to a little bit of draft talk before we finish up, Matt, uh, the Browns are uh, being connected with Baker Mayfield with the top pick of the draft and obviously he's been a phenomenal college player, but uh, how, how do you see it? Do you think it's uh, really a situation where I think at this stage they just have to go and get that uh, top tier quarterback? They have to have to stop trading out of those uh, first overall picks 
Uh, do you think that uh, Mayfield will be a good fit with the Cleveland Browns? It's so interesting. Uh, I I don't think they can take Mayfield number one overall, um, even though he in some ways is comparable to uh, some of the shorter quarterbacks like Drew Brees and Russell Wilson. Um, I think if you just look at uh, – if you look at him as someone who is destined to be those guys, uh, then I think you're you're shortchanging the evaluation process because he also has within his range of outcomes just you know like a normal mediocre quarterback. Uh, so I don't think you can go with him number one. The idea of taking a quarterback who's around six feet tall number one is just. I think that's too much, especially for the Browns who are still like living with the trauma of Johnny Manziel. Um, but I do think that Mayfield is a really intriguing player. And if they liked him, I think they could get him with the fourth pick. Um, but I, I don't think they're likely to pass on a quarterback at number one. I think they're going to take someone. So I think it's either going to be uh, like Josh Allen. And I just I don't understand why people are you know happy about him as a potential prospect. I think he's he hasn't exhibited anything that is very impressive so far in his college career. Um, he's sort of like uh, a, a non-running version of Jake Locker, just in terms of like his his accuracy and things like that. But, you know, he has this strong arm, so people like that. And I think there is the possibility that they will take Josh Allen, number one, uh, not just because of the hype, but because of the type of quarterbacks that uh, Dorsey has scouted and drafted in the past. Like he likes to take toolsy type of players, uh, so I, it is possible that they, they go with Josh Allen, but I think the more conventional picks would either be, uh, Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen of the two. I prefer Darnold. He's literally the youngest quarterbacking prospect in NFL history. Uh, he'll be 20 when he's drafted. I think he's had a good enough of a career, uh, in his two active seasons at, uh, USC to warrant being number one. But yeah, I think they definitely have to take a quarterback number one. Yeah, and uh, Matt's been doing uh, some previews up there with Fantasy Labs recently uh, with the, the draft and with the quarterbacks, and awesome uh, listening to those. You get so, so much great information on the draft prospects, because like me, I mentioned on last week's show, I started to dive into those prospects just after the Super Bowl, so I started a little bit earlier this year, so uh, getting Matt's takes on them is always a fantastic thing. Uh, with that, Sean, have you anything else to add on Baker Mayfield or any of the other quarterback prospects in the Cleveland Browns? I just think it's interesting the way the draft process unfolds and the fact that you have this Cleveland Browns team here that really needs to not miss. And that's always the case for someone uh, drafting number one, but certainly with coming off of a one in 31 season, you know, making the somewhat, you know, or, you know, two seasons, the somewhat controversial decision to fire the brain trust that has put you in this incredible position where you have, uh, you know, <laughs> so much money to work with and then so many high picks. And, and that was obviously the plan. Now the plan wasn't to lose all of those games, but to have this much free agent dollars to work with and that many early picks, you know, to build on some of the guys they've already selected and then say, no, the people that, that put that plan together, we're going to go away from, and then we're going to bring someone in like John Dorsey, who, you know, he did some good things with the chiefs. You can't, um, completely disregard the positive picks that he made the way he you know has put together a team that at least with the starters i mean they have huge depth problems but you know it has size it has speed uh 
hopefully, and you know, you don't know exactly who should get credit for all of the different selections. Certainly, in Kansas City, Andy Reid uh, is a, a big part of, of any decision that's made. But right now, you know, Mahomes already looks like someone who could be a superstar. Well, Cleveland definitely needs to hit because if you're one in thirty-one and you've decided to, to retain your head coach, you can't. I mean, you, you can't continue to do things that are silly, and. You know, just like Matt said, you've got these two guys who are sort of on the two ends of the spectrum where you have Allen who, you know, his ceiling is probably as a Joe Flacco type of player. And, you know, that obviously isn't the, the worst thing in the world. You know, Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl, but in general, he's a well below average NFL quarterback. And there are a lot of problems that you have when you try and run an offense with Joe Flacco because he just has no accuracy. And then, you know, you go down to the very opposite side of that, where, you know, you're talking about someone who in many ways is that Johnny Manziel clone. Now, you know, they have uh, subtly different, but but obviously far better intangibles for Mayfield, although certainly he has not been without, you know, his red flags, his interesting problems that he's caused for himself, you know, over this, this last season. But you have someone who is an incredible college playmaker and, and should definitely get credit for that, but is a smaller guy who is going to need more things to go right at the NFL level. And to have those guys on the two poles, when you have prospects like Rosen and Darnold, who are are just really your prototypical number one draft pick kinds of guys. Now, you know, they also have their red flags and that, you know, Darnold threw a ton of interceptions this year and and appeared to take a step back from his fantastic uh, 2016 season. And, you know, Rosen, you know, it's it's always a little bit of a red flag for people when your team doesn't win, if you're a number one overall pick caliber guy, but, you know, just like, you know, Tom Brady and and, uh, Nick Foles couldn't really control the points that were scored against them in the Super Bowl, you know, Rosen, and can't control just how bad the UCLA defense was. So to, to have two guys who are prototypical number one picks right there and have the discussion being about guys who really superficially look more like mid-second round picks as the person who would go number one overall, th- th- that's that's sort of bizarre, especially within the context of, of Cleveland coming off of a 1-31 over the last two years. Yeah, and it uh, still baffles me that uh, Cleveland decided to keep their head coach and uh, move on from the man who got them all that free cap space and got them all those picks in Sashi Brown. So we'll see how that does for them uh, as they move forward. Hopefully they can start to pick up a couple of wins over the next couple of seasons because uh, it's just not going to get it done, that uh, 1-31 that you mentioned. But that's going to do it for today's edition of Rotoviz Radio. My name is Colin Kelly. You can find me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. Uh, today I was joined on the show by Sean Siegel, who you can find at FF underscore Contrarian. And of course, Matt Freeman, who you can find at Matt F. The Oracle. Until we're back with another show, have a good one. Thanks for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. 
Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Jess, it's happening. Whoa, Tina, what are you doing in my car? Space is here now. No closet will be left behind. Did you say closet? Yes, the Container Store custom closets are up to 25% off. It doesn't matter the size or shape. Space is coming to them all. You're not serious. Space isn't a joke, Jess. How long do we have? Through October 13th. All right, buckle up. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha. The Container Store, where space comes from. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.